You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Scottish Football Forums podcast. I'm John and um, I'm joined by, well, I was going to say um, regular Ross, um, but you're about as um, regular as a squad player. How are you doing, Ross? I'm no bad. Yeah, I'm getting. I'm getting back. This is my first one since uh, foot manager special, but I'm looking forward to it. Was this appearance number four of the season? Oh, uh, I, I think so. Yeah, three or four. I'll go with four. I make myself look better. I'll go with four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's good to have you on. Um, um, and uh, we're joined by a special guest tonight. Um, Ross, you'll also be pleased. It's a fellow Rangers fan for yourself um, and author of. Multiple Rangers books. Alistair Aird. Alistair, welcome along and thanks for coming on. How are you? No problem, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on, John, in the first instance. Uh, I'm doing okay, um, considering. Um, <laughs> I think the I think the hangover the hangover from last night's lingering longer than what a normal hangover would. Um, but hey, there's there's 14 games to go, so um, we we have to shake it off very quickly and and move on and um, hopefully get that bounce, get that reaction that you expect on the back of uh, what was a, a pretty chastening experience uh, last night. I don't think, with the greatest of respect to probably even the most staunch Celtic fan, I don't think many people expected um, the game to go, the, or, or certainly the first half to go the way it went last night. Um, and obviously I went number of group chats and all that kind of stuff. And I don't think there are many, Ross, it'd be interesting to get your kind of perspective on this, I don't think there's many Rangers supporters that would have picked a different starting eleven to what Giovanni picked last night, um, but uh, and with the benefit of hindsight, yes, we would have made changes. But I think, given how strong Rangers were um, on paper, anyway, middle to front, I think there was an expectation that there would be a bit more of an emphasis on attack. But it became very, very apparent very, very quickly that that wasn't the game plan. And I think that's probably the bit that disappoints me as much as anything, that we felt we had to go there and sit in. And given how fluid Celtic are, particularly in the first 45 minutes, and have been this season, we invited Celtic onto us and we invited all the problems that we we created. And um, obviously, Alan McGregor was a, took a bit of stick after the weekend and there was, there was a clamour for him to be dropped. I'm really, as a Rangers supporter, I'm really, really pleased that he wasn't dropped because we... Without Alan McGregor last night, you're probably realistically looking at five, six, six down by half time. He had one bad um, game in the weekend. <laughs> it's, honestly, John, uh, and this is the this is the thing I'm finding. I, I'm relatively new to social media. I'll be honest, and this is the thing I'm finding the reaction we get now, and obviously because of the stuff I've done through research for the books and, and whatnot. Um, Walter Smith. Uh, back 94-95, Rangers lost three games in a row at home, lost to, a- lost to AAK Athens, and we lost to Celtic, and we lost to Falkirk in the League Cup. I can only, I shudder to think what the reaction to something like that would be <laughs> nowadays. Yeah, that's, certainly in my time supporting Rangers, that's the greatest manager that's ever mm-hmm. <laughs> basically occupied that manager's office. But you don't even get three defeats in a row now. Um, mm. on social media and it, I think it's the same for a lot of clubs It's that there's just this clamour to get on the back of uh, everybody's the tactical genius everybody's uh, I, I don't know what I wouldn't have picked that team or I wouldn't have played that way but don't get me wrong I think last night there's not many people would have expected given 
the strength of the team lay in middle to front, that we would be as passive as what we were. And both fullbacks, really, really poor. Borna Barisic is probably the poorest game I've seen him play in his time at Rangers. A guy who rightly has been lauded for his performances and it, and is rated in that bracket of a, a saleable asset for us. Really poor and warranted in his substitution <laughs> at halftime. Probably warranted now going forward for a bit of a spell on the sidelines, given his performance. Um, and the same with James Tavernier on the other side. But listen, sometimes you've just got to take your hat off and you've just got to say that the better side won. And um, there was an improvement second half, but again, I think we have to be kind of diplomatic with that one and say it couldn't get much worse. So, um, but it's not as if there's two games to go. There's 14 games left. We're, we're a point behind. It's not been great since the break. We haven't played particularly well in the four games since the break. And I include Livingston at home, the game that we won. We we just haven't come out. And now two very, very tough home games coming up, Hearts on Sunday um, and Hibs on Wednesday. Um, historically difficult fixtures, but there needs to be a reaction because um, I think both teams will drop points between now and the end of the season, but you go to win your home games. It's as simple as that. If you're, if you're going to win the championship, you've got to win your home games. Um, so... We shall see how it spins out. Uh, but one of the positives to take, I guess, as 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 fantastic as last season was for Rangers supporters, winning the league in March kind of rendered the back end of the season just a, a sort of going through the motions and it was all about remaining unbeaten and all that kind of stuff. Probably for the first time in about 15 years, we've got we've realistically got a title race on our hands now at the top level. And that's, that's only good for the game in terms of, you know, obviously... Given my, my sort of background with Rangers and all that kind of stuff, I listen to talk sport in the moment in the morning where, where uh, obviously Coisty's on there in the morning. But even in the shows after that, now you've got the likes of Simon Jordan talking about Rangers and Celtic. You've got, Scottish football's profile has been raised by the fact that we've got a title race, and that can only be good. So, yeah, without a doubt, um, you, you need a good title race. I think the last good title race you had was the 2010 um, season when. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the Kyle Lafferty last day uh, hat trick game, but yeah, I mean, I watched that game last night. Obviously, as a neutral, um, mm-hmm. you know, because as an, as an Aberdeen supporter, I really don't care which one of the old firm do well. I just want <laughs> I'm only interested in one team. Um, but no, it was I, I was I was surprised at how Celtic came out of traps and Rangers just seemed spooked by it all. Ross, do you know, I think. Uh, yeah, it was, as Alison said, it was. I don't think any Celtic fan would have either were up for it. And the atmosphere looked amazing, didn't get me wrong. But I just, I, I mean, I, I said to John Herod, I had a feeling Celtic maybe get something. But they were due mm-hmm. a result. It's just the way it works. Yeah. But that, that first 30 minutes, they were, and as you say, you've got to hold your hands up and go, better team won. The better team played. Mm-hmm. I've got, as you say, you're, can you support the team for that long? You're big enough to admit when you're outplayed. Because I've seen some, uh, some takes on Twitter. Um, and as you say, social media is just, so, I've seen this morning Geo sacked um, What? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah honestly I've seen a few It's, it's few John it's crazy oh, It's crazy it's yep. and, Mine just got to go He's not packed already uh, He didn't have the right team and uh, if you could uh, go back 24 hours what would your changes be? And as I said earlier I don't think many people if you, were, if you asked them ahead of the game, what's your Rangers starting 11? I had the same, I had 10 of the 11 that started. I had Balogun in instead yeah, of Bassett. That's, 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 that's the only change I would have made. I think that's the only change. 
Yeah. And the young lad, I feel really, I, I feel heart sorry for the guy, uh, Diallo, because I was really impressed at the weekend. Um, a guy that's kind of gets you in the edge of your seat, but it, it just seemed a bit high, overwhelmed. Um, right, and he said it wasn't the right game for him, but on yeah, paper, it, it was the right yeah. choice, 100%. Um, but one thing that um, Gio has gotten, or that I think is in his favour, he doesn't make changes for changes' sake. He makes changes when he needs to make changes. And he made the three changes at halftime, and Ryan Jack made a massive difference mm-hmm. coming on for the second half. And uh, obviously, John is... As an Aberdeen supporter, you know what Ryan Jack brings to the yeah. team. So yeah. if we can keep Ryan Jack fit for these remaining 14 games, for me, mm-hmm. he's he's one of the first names, if not the first name, on the team sheet. But it's keeping him fit, and that's been the challenge for the last year or so with Ryan Jack. Mm-hmm. But made a huge difference when he came on last night. Um, so we shall see. I, I'd expect changes at the weekend. I don't think we can continue in the same vein. And... Ross, I don't know what your kind of feelings are on on the enigmatic centre forward that we have, but as much as he's criticised, when Morelos doesn't play, I think we struggle. Um, we oh, don't yeah. have someone in the squad of a similar ilk that can do the same things. And under Stephen towards the tail end, under Stephen Gerrard towards the tail end, he was dropping deeper and deeper and deeper and been less effective. And one of the things that shone for me in the first handful of games under under Gio, he was annoying defenders again, he was being effective, he was scoring goals, and we missed that last night. As much as we weren't there in an attacking sense, we didn't have an out ball, and somebody like Morelos, who can take the ball into feet, and it, it sticks, and he can hold it up, and whatever, bring others into play, we missed that. Um, and we can talk about the frustrations, of it. he goes away with Colombia, and he doesn't get picked in the squad, and all that kind of stuff. It's just the nature of the beast. Um, he was selected for international duty so we had to suck it up but I think his return at the weekend will make a difference obviously everybody's talked about Aaron Ramsey um, he can only improve the team um, but there needs to be a as, as I said there needs to be a bounce on Sunday there needs to be something because you know Ross having been at Ibrox and, and John you haven't been there as, a, as an opposition fan First 20 25 minutes are massive on Sunday. Um, if Rangers don't start the game well, then it's not going to take long for the discerning public to, to turn. And mm-hmm. given how spooked the players were last night, we really don't want to spook them with our own, um, sort of putting them under any any more pressure. But it'll be interesting to see how things pan out. Celtic have got a difficult game as well. Fur Park's never an easy place to go to on Sunday. So conceivably, you could see the way things are going this season. That Celtic could drop points at first Park, and then it puts puts the advantage back to Rangers. But um, we're now back to this because of the, the the TV games work. Rangers play first, Celtic play second, and all that kind of stuff. And it becomes that sort of um, right. We get we get one up, and then Celtic have got to respond, and vice versa. And that's that adds excitement. It does it. it there's no this, you know what, we're 20 odd points clear or Celtic are 20 points clear, Rangers are 20 points clear. There's something now at stake in every game and one of the things I read earlier about 14 cup finals, there's no doubt about it and it's the same for both teams. It's 14 cup finals. Celtic have done well to come back, I think, at the start of the season. We all, as, as, as Rangers supporters, were dining out on how poorly they started the season and we thought it was going to be another canter. Um, but they've hung in there. Um, I still think middle to front Rangers are stronger I still think they're better middle to front even with um, the squad that we've got in terms of the depth 
But we're in the situation we're in because we haven't started after the break. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I think that's um, possible fair comment. And um, Chris um, from the um, podcast um, made a good point that there was a game between Celtic and Rangers um, from 2010-11 that they won 3-0. Gary Hooper scored two and Colin scored. Mm-hmm. But then the next yep. game after that, they went to Motherwell and lost 2-0. I think John yep. Sutton scored one of the goals that day. So that's how quickly things can change. And that's why Celtic shouldn't um, count their chickens just yet. Because yep. Motherwell are capable the- team of getting points against Celtic at the weekend. I don't recall there'd been much clamour at that time. When we when Rangers lost at Parkhead, Walter Smith was in charge. I don't think there was a lot of clamour for Walter Smith to be sacked the next I think morning. he was just tired in anyway, to be fair. <laughs> exactly. But um even uh, I mean, I think Gio mentioned it himself in his first season at Rangers, his first old firm game, they lost five one. Lubomir Moravchek made his debut for Celtic. Um Gio scored that day with uh, with a free kick. But we went on to win the treble that year. So it's it's a blow, it's a done. But it's not the it's not a fatal blow just yet. So it's just it's, yeah, it's just it's a one game. It's that's what's mm-hmm. gonna like not annoy me, but I said the reaction for some from some fans is just it's ridiculous. I mean I get you're hurt. I was hurt. I said that to John never watched the second half. Mm-hmm. I mean I, I never mm-hmm. do that, regardless of the score. And I just thought yep. it was that fed up. But it was spineless, it was gut do you know what I mean? It was just it wasn't a performance that we've shown no. in the past. No that's what but, hurts. But Aye, that's the thing, but in terms of the reaction, I think a lot of the reaction at the moment, and I'm talking both sides here when there's a defeat, is because of what's at stake this year. That automatic yeah. qualification for the Champions League, the money that's associated with that, that's what's adding to the intensity, that's what's adding to the pressure. That's why probably this season more than any, as much as we've talked about the fact it's great to have a title race, probably both sides are looking for one to run away with because it answers that question. Who's going to get that bounty? Who's going to get that money? Um, and I think that's what's causing the overreaction as much as anything else um, because we've lost old firm games in the past. Celtic have lost old firm games in the past. I mean, games like yesterday, 787 days since Celtic had won an old firm game. Um, so, um, I the, the overreaction has probably been a bit um, on the on the high end, but. Um, I've said before, it's how it's how Rangers respond, and Celtic can get complacent as well. It's very easy. A big thing I've found out, having spoken to um, to numerous ex players as well, mentality is a massive thing in football, and it's a thing probably supporters that we don't take into account. the The comfort zone of I don't know what um, Celtic have beaten Rangers three 0 so they're going against Mother will think that it's going to be a squish. And John, as you say, there, like, third part's not an easy place to go to. Um, so Rangers having two home games in the bounce, as much as it's too difficult opponents, it's probably better having two home games in the bounce now rather than going to two difficult away venues because um, that could exacerbate the situation. So, all to play for. Yeah, definitely. And I think Celtic and Rangers will drop lots of points in these 14 games, um, not not just against each other, but against some mm-hmm. of the other teams as well. That's happened this season. And, yeah. um, but It'll certainly, it'll certainly be interesting, but obviously you've got a certain player to come into the team that's just joined this week, Aaron Ramsey. Um, you know, that was a bit of a, a left-field move. Um, I, I, guess, I get he's, in, uh, he's injured prone, but when he's fit, there's no doubt that he well, is a top-class well, player. Um, obviously, when I'm, uh, I went out to work on Monday morning, um, and you'd expect, I was expecting a wee bit of activity. I, I'll be honest, I expected more, more out than in. Um, and I think it was kind of widely recognised at the 
the young Polish left back was going to come in to essentially step into Nathan Patterson's shoes and be the understudy for, for James Tavernier. And um, I think it was a, it must have been at half past nine, ten o'clock. Um, I got a message to say, Aaron Ramsey, it's on. And I was like, ah, come on, no chance. And it probably wasn't until that I actually saw him come out of a car outside Ibrox on Sky Sports News that I actually genuinely believed that this was happening. Yeah. And that was a sort of 12-hour period over which I said noise here, that you've got journalists and whatever at the airport taking footage through fences and whatever. I don't think anybody could quite believe it. Um, but as as part of a um, another piece of work I'm doing just now, um, I, I had the opportunity to speak to Teddy Butcher on Monday, um, just as this is all breaking. Um, Terry said it's it's a phenomenal signing. He said because Rangers don't have anybody in their squad. As much as we've got a plethora of midfielders and some really high quality midfielders, he says they don't have anybody like Aaron Ramsey. And he compared Aaron Ramsey to Ian Durant before his injury. He says he's box to box. And if, if Rangers can keep him fit for these 14 games, what a massive impact he, he could have. I, I'll be honest, last night, I think for the, for the impact of the sort of psychological thing we talked about mentality earlier, having him on the bench, I think may well have had a had a bit of a psychological impact because yes, he's no fit, hasn't he played since I think I'd, I'd, I'd done some digging. He's played five games this season, um, barely completed ninety minutes and whatever. So yeah, he's no match fit, but surely there was ten minutes on him last night. Um, so that was a that was a strange one for me. But yeah, we keep him fit for the rest of the season. Ryan Jack coming back to full fitness. It's uh, Morelos coming back. We've got strength and depth, middle to front. We've got uh, Philip Lander coming back as well at centre back. Um, so Celtic as well have got guys like Kyogo and, and David Turnbull have done well this season. So both sides have got um, have got good players to come back in. And again, it just reinforces what we said earlier that we've got we've got a race in our hands and. Scottish football, the profile of Scottish football has been raised this week, both by the game last night and signing Aaron Ramsey on Monday. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's it's good to him from an um, outsider's point of view. Um, I mean, when someone like Ramsey comes in, it's got um, Scottish football because um, very rarely do you see that kind of sign happening these days, Ross, don't you? Yeah, it was, I was quite surprised as well. Um, and I, seen it about, I, I was working so I was doing some articles and stuff, and obviously the deadline day, I was trying to see. I, I was, I thought it was Alistair. I thought there was going to be more outs. Um, gonna get rid of some of the deadwood. Maybe got another player on the own. Um, they were looking for that Man United youngster, James McTee. Um, yeah, um, uh-huh. I'm on the one. Yep. That never mm-hmm. realised, but and I, I said I seen it at half nine ten o'clock, and I was like, that's. So I was speaking to my editor, and I was like, can I maybe do a wee story on this just to kind of. Feel the mm-hmm. fire. He said, "Yeah, there's Ken Romano had tweeted it and stuff and whatever." Mm-hmm. And I said, "The day it was like an old fashioned deadline day. The day just like, seemed to build up mm-hmm. throughout the day." And I was like, "This is actually happening. This is." And people are putting on Twitter about seeing the coin. They were cracking coins, private mm-hmm. coins. I'm like, "This is yep. mayhem. This is happening." Mm-hmm. I was getting excited, mm-hmm. whatever. And you seen it? I just couldn't believe it. And then again, obviously, the Celtic fans were there. How can I afford? How can Rangers afford this and all, all that sort of stuff? It was brilliant. Um, but no, I think it's a it's a statement of intent because, as I say, if you keep him fit, I think he's the best player in Scotland yeah. for the job that he does and his experience and what he's won. He, Arsenal is fantastic. And it's 
obviously not worked out well at UV for him for injury reasons, coaching or playing him as much. But if we can get him up to 100%, I think he'll be key in this title race. Yeah. He showed in Euro 2012 with Wales again, in particular yeah, exactly. against Turkey. Him and Gareth Bale absolutely ran that show. They two on mm-hmm. their day make that Wales oh, team. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Aye. Um, <laughs> he's, um, I agree with Ross. Uh, my player of the year at moments, Joe, Joe Aribo. All bias aside, mm-hmm. I think Joe Aribo has been absolutely yeah. phenomenal this year. And I'm surprised that nobody's come in in the transfer window where I bid from because he did well at the AFCON as well. Um, but I think that having Ramsey and Aribo in the same team. Is it's going to be it's going to be exciting to watch um, between now and the end of the season anyway. Yeah, I would agree that Aribo has been your um, best player this season. He was definitely a miss for us. He was away in Afcon, and that's when mm-hmm. you yeah. expect players. Like, I mean, I was—I'll be honest—I was surprised that you guys took Scott Wright from us. Now, Scott Wright's a decent player. My view on it is, unlike Ryan Jack, who I thought would improve the Rangers team and did. I don't think Scott Wright's that kind of player personally. Um, I think he's no better than a squad player. And when he came in in that game against ourselves, other than yeah. the pass he played for Kent that actually took and go, he did nothing in yeah. the game against us. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I, I think Steven Gerrard saw something in him. Um, and for me, Scott Wright's best performances for Rangers have come when he's come off the bench to make it as, as an impact player. Um, and Prawley's poorest performance, uh, performances for Rangers have come when he's when he started the game. Um, I don't think he's a first pick. And yes, he's developed. He's he, he probably has improved his game uh, working under Steven Gerrard and 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 Giovanni Bronkers. But for me, uh, arguably now with the squad we've got between now and the end of the season, he's probably third or fourth choice for one of the wide positions. Um, and that's even given the form that that some of the wide players are in just now. Um, I can't see. Scott Wright coming in and making a tail and difference to um, in those wide areas at the moment, and um, I don't want to write people off. I don't want to say, you know what, you're not not even no good enough to wear the jersey. But as a first pick for me, not a chance. Yeah. Sorry, John. I just on, on right. I think it was good. Right, obviously, Jared bringing them in in January like last year, kind of settle them in, and I think that's always, especially with the way the title race was going, it was a kind of a three six months to yeah. settle them in and get them ready. But as you say, I like him. I think it has got potential. But you're right in that he's um, only ever kind of made a proper impact off the bench. And it's always good having players like that if you need mm-hmm. them. But um, especially with any problems out on the right, obviously Hadji getting played out there, which I don't think Hadji's a winger at all. Um, no. And obviously he's out for the season. It's kind of shown that he's not the person for the job. Hence why Dial has been brought in. Um, but yeah, I think I, I think there is a, a player in there definitely. I think Gerard, whatever he's seen, has kind mm-hmm. of worked for the last the end of last season. Um, but it's just kind of weird seeing him kind of float in and out. He's not really been given a proper kind of run to. Can I, can I similar to to a Jamie Murphy? Dare I say it? Jamie Murphy yeah, come yeah. and yeah. Jamie Murphy played right really well yeah. at times, and then he got yeah. injured, and then all of a sudden, it, you look at what's happened to, happened to Jamie Murphy now. He's sort of drifting down. Is yeah. it Mansfield? He's going to this week. Mansfield, yeah. Um, another one who Motherwell was a was a standout, um, and then got the opportunity, did well in fits and starts, but didn't really stake that claim that you would expect yeah. him to to make. But um, hopefully, but. Me, me, I mean, sorry, between now and the end of the season, we're going to need a squad. We're going to need that depth and there's probably going to need to be, and I don't mean this as any disrespect to Scott Wright, but the likes of the games against Annan, where you're going to, where you're going to have to rotate the squad 
in the Scottish Cup. It's probably the ideal game from a confidence point of view for Scott Wright as well to bring him in and give him that opportunity just to restore that wee bit of confidence because it's probably been dented a wee bit. Um, John, as you said, the, the game up at Pataudry, he just didn't have that impact. I don't know if there was that nervousness because he's returning to his old stomping ground and and that sort of played in his mind, but he just didn't have that spark and that pace and that um, that impact that he's had coming off the bench um, at times for Rangers. So we shall see how how his career pans out, but I really hope he doesn't turn into one of these journeyman players where he's taking the, he's taking the step from Aberdeen to Rangers and um, it's looked good for a wee while and then all of a sudden he just ends up League One, League Two in England and... Um, yeah, he'll, he'll, he can go one or two ways. He can either go the way Ryan Jack's been going and like David Roberts in the past, or it could be um, a Jake Casey. You know, mm-hmm. move too soon, but we shall. That was, a, that was a weird move to begin with. I get potential and stuff, but I mean, I mean, where is he now? Is it one? One It's not one. Yeah, well, one. Because yeah. he didn't kick a ball real at Patrick. He never got a chance. It was ridiculous. Yep. It's, these are the type of loans then. Obviously, like for example, Ben Williamson at Rafe, mm. and these are yep. good loans. They're playing in the second tier. Um, mm. They're getting experienced first team football, and mm. that, that that's the kind of chance for them to prove where they can step up at Rangers. And I mean, if you kind of get a game apart, that no disrespect, are you ever getting in the Rangers? For? No, no chance. No. So, and waste. The, the other kind of case in point with that one is Brandon Barker, one of the most bizarre yeah. signings yeah. ever, and. He's obviously parted by mutual consent, and um, as, as we said earlier, when we were talking about Aaron Ramsey. I expected guys like Brandon Barker. I expected these guys to be moved on, and I expected that to be this the sort of main direction of traffic on Monday. But Brandon Barker's never really done anything. I mean, John, you talked about Scott Wright. Scott Wright's a million miles ahead of Brandon Barker. Um, for me, yet yeah, he 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 stuck it for what two and a half, three and a half years. It, at Rangers, so um, and as a guy, we have uh, my fiance and I joke a lot about Andy Firth, who has fallen so far down the pecking order. He's now fourth choice goalkeeper with the with the COVID outbreak earlier on in the season. Uh, ironically, coming into the last old firm game, which took out Alan McGregor and John McLaughlin, um, and you're expecting well, Andy Firth's 25, uh, Robin McCrory's what 20, 21, or whatever. So you'll go with Andy Firth. No, he went with Robin McCrory. Yeah, Andy Firth persistent or, or, or consistently posts on social media pictures of him in training, pictures of him sort of um, playing. Uh, I don't know if it's Fortnite or whatever. The, yeah, the I see it on Instagram. Yeah. Him, whatever. him and Ryan and Jack. He's, he's, <laughs> he's twenty-five years old and he's living the life of Riley because he's the fourth choice goalkeeper. I, I don't think he doesn't even get picked for the B team, and he's a professional footballer who's. Uh, oh, honestly, he's, you're, you're him now. He played, oh. I think he played. He got a last game of the season a couple of seasons ago. Stephen Gerrard brought him on um, against Kilmarnock. The game that um, Steve Steve Clark and he has kicked the ball or, or saved the ball or whatever whatever way you want to look at it for a goalkeeper since, and he's quite happy with that. He's quite happy turning up at um, at the training centre every day. Um, uh, one of the guys that um, uh, that, I, that I do about what what with seems to think he's he's doing a bit of coaching. I'm like he's 25, <laughs> but th- this is a guy who 
as I said, when Ross has obviously seen it as well, he, he puts stuff on, on social media and he is absolutely loving his life. But he's a professional footballer who's played probably about 30 minutes in the last three and a half years. Crazy. He's a professional football player gets paid to play Fortnite. Yeah. That's impressive. That's yeah. impressive. He's got it's... a great life, as Alistair says, and it's, it's... it's every couple of nights and he tags Ryan Jack in it as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they must play together. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. It reminds Richard Wright for the sense of things. Easy wage. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's bizarre that yeah. you, you come to a transfer and you think, right, he'll be away this time. Surely he's got ambitions to play somewhere. doesn't matter whether it's League One, League Two in England. He's, he's, he's a professional footballer. He must want to play football. Now, this guy, doesn't he? This guy's quite happy just turning up every day and um, sitting behind uh, McGregor, McLaughlin, and McCrory in the queue. <laughs> Knowing that there's a, there's no a cat in hell's chance that he's going to get a chance unless we we end up with three goalkeepers injured, and even then we'd probably look at an emergency alone to bring somebody else in. So oh, that's good. Bizarre. bizarre. Oh, uh, well, we'll look out for that name, Andy, first and see if he becomes a <laughs> professional footballer in years to come. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so um, obviously we've chatted. So we'll move on from the old firm post mortem and um, the chats uh-huh. about your current squad. So Alistair, obviously, um, you've been a Rangers fan for a long time. Where did the love affair start for you? Um, League Cup semi final, nineteen eighty six, eighty seven. We played in D United. Um, at Hamden, uh, 1-2-1, McCoyst and McMinn scored. And I was sitting doing my homework. So what, 1986, I would have been eight. Sitting doing my homework at the kitchen table and my dad came in. Uh, my, dad just, my dad was a school teacher. Um, he, he taught biology, hence why I became an engineer. Um, so he, he, he came in and he plunked down on the table, match programme. Uh, so this was the day after uh, we'd played the United. They plunked in the match programme. David Cooper in the front, Kevin Gallagher in the front. And he said, um, one of the janitors at the school gave me this for you. And I'd, I'd played football, I'd sort of run about with, with friends and whatever, watched football, sat down with my dad and watched games and whatever. And I was looking through this programme, this is all right. And I struck up a, a friendship with that guy, which lasted a number of years he, he sadly passed away a few years ago, um, but he was the one that, um, that suggested I went to my first game. My first game was Murrow uh, at home, 12th of March, 1988. Uh, Ian Durant scored at the Copeland uh, Road end. We were sitting, my dad and I, was, it was back in the day, a cash at the turnstiles. So we went up and um, we were sitting in the, the Broomland Road Brown section back in the days where it was near a blue sea of Ibrox, if you like. There was all these different coloured seats. Ah, um, yeah, uh, exactly. And and this guy who I affectionately referred to as Mr. A um, would get me programmes. He's a season ticket holder. Um, and we'd be, uh, used to go to my grand's on a Sunday and we'd be walking to my grand's and you'd hear the peep of the horn and he'd stop the car and he'd hand me the programme at the car that he'd got for the game the day before. And any time there was an opportunity for a season ticket coming up because he went in the car with five sorry before others if any of them couldn't make the game I've got a phone call and I got to the kind of obsessive stage on a Saturday where uh, we got up on a Saturday morning and my dad would be like right we're going here we're going there are you coming no it's no quarter to one yet and I knew that they left at quarter to one and I waited until quarter to one every Saturday we played at home for that phone call and it didn't matter whether I went to one two three games a season it was still that experience, it was intoxicating, it got me, it grabbed me, 
and it never leaves you. First time you go, first time you go a game, it doesn't matter what club you support. First time you're inside that stadium, massive. And I always, I've done some of the work that I've done, um, like to David Wilson, and whatever. Thinking back to Ibrox, the way it was, and in Hamden, the way it was. I remember um, we went to Hamden for the Scotland France game, 1988, mm. 1989. Morris Johnson scored two goals, yeah. and we were absolute. I was ten years old, and we were absolutely saturated when the open terrace in at Hamden. But what an experience! 70,000 people crammed in there. Great, and it, that program. It, and I've still got it. I mean, um, I'm a bit of a holder when it comes to that kind of stuff, books and programmes and whatever. But that programme, to me, to my dying day, that's the programme that will remain of huge significance because that was a massive turning point for me as a Rangers supporter. That's what drew me to it. That's what brought me to... Um, uh, aye, it, that's when the bug bit probably seriously for the first time. When I was eight years old, so that's an that's an interesting story. That, um, you were grabbed by um, the image of Davy Cooper in a match program. My first 100%. experience, my, my first experience of um, supporting Aberdeen, because um, mm-hmm. I wasn't into football till I was eight, which would have been some similar to you. Mm-hmm. She put in the, the third of the League Cup final trilogy, as I like to call it, the Rangers Aberdeen mm-hmm. in '89, yep. the one we finally won, and mm-hmm. without knowing the score then at this point, I, I said, "Mum, who's that red team?" And she says Aberdeen, and I says, mm-hmm. "Quite like them," and that's where it grew for me. It's quite weird. Yeah. <laughs> Ross, I can't remember if I asked you how um, when you were on. What was you? What grabbed you the Rangers bug from your perspective? I think it was. I remember my granddad, my, dad, my dad's a Rangers fan, but not massive, just kind of, his brother and his dad were Celtic fans, so he kind of rebelled against the cause, and obviously, you pick it up, that's it. Um, and my granddad, I remember, it must have been about the start of the 1999 season, um, I was kind of too young for like the nine in a row era and stuff, and that was like my first, he bought me the, the strip. And I mean, just seeing the strip, I went in my grandma's house, and he just had the strip lying on the couch. Socks, short, the full shebang, no, I wish I kept them. Um, and I just, I had it on straight away, marvelled by it. And again, as you say, you just say to your dad, you're picking up results. And I remember listening to the, when we got beat 5-1 in Advocates first season in Jad on the radio, and I was greeting a lot, couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And then I remember at the end of that season, obviously the 3-0 at Parkhead won the league, um, had it on the radio as well. And I just, I can still, I can still remember games throughout that season and I'm like, I was only what eight eight or nine and it's meant, meant how you can still think and you still remember like, mm-hmm. things like that and it kind of you wish you could go back to that thing do you that, know what I mean it's just remember, it's remarkable th- how it grabs you that's the thing for me as well I've probably got more clarity in terms of my memories of Rangers games from then and what yeah. I do now games yeah. two or three weeks ago or whatever you yeah. they don't have that same <laughs> I say when we get to a certain vintage, that same significance. You still want to always see your team in, you still want to watch the games, but you don't absorb it as much. I remember, and you, you talked about listening to the radio there, Ross, uh, with a wee silver radio. I took it everywhere on a Saturday because at that time I wasn't going to games, and you were listening to Sports Sound on BBC Radio Scotland. And you were, t- I remember the, the 5 1 game, 27th August 1988, um, listening to it on the radio, and my dad sitting driving the car telling me to be quiet. Because we had 15, 20 minutes to go, we were five one up, and I was shouting and singing in the back of the car. He says, "No, be quiet. They might still come back." 
So <laughs> that was that was the kind of mindset. But at that time, let's say it got to quarter to one on the Saturday, and I didn't get the call. I used to go and watch the local junior team, but took the radio with me. And I, you're standing there, wasn't even. I'm sitting here with a head with um, a headset on just now. You didn't even have a headset; you just clamped it to your ear. Yeah. And that's the thing that today's generation don't quite understand where the technological advances were got. That's what it was like back then. There wasn't the same widespread coverage in TV. There's some games from certain um, or, or from that year where you don't even you can't even find the goals. The only way you know how the goal was scored is if you speak to the person that scored it, or alternatively, you were there. Mm-hmm. So that that for me is a, a huge part of the experience, and it's it's something that with my own kids in particular, I feel as if they miss out on because they now can see football and however many different channels they can see football from Germany and football from Italy and various different countries, and they they kind of lose sight of what's on mm-hmm. their doorstep. And yeah, back then as much as we. I mean, the Liverpool team of the 80s, even Everton um, uh, at that time, there was there was a draw to the English Premier uh, or, or to the English First Division as it was back then. But you were drawn to it because these teams were doing well and they were playing well. You weren't drawn to it such that, and you know what, I'll go and follow uh, Aston Villa or I'll go and follow Liverpool or I'll go and follow Everton as my first team and somebody like Rangers, Celtic, Aberdeen or whatever. I'll, I'll sort of pay not necessarily lip service to them, but they're not going to be as significant to me as Dortmund or any in any other country like Alfie Anger Harlan's this the sort of star man or Mbappe or whatever. Mm-hmm. Back in the old day, um, and it's only since doing the work that or through doing the work that I've done, I've found players from that era who, if you'd asked me at that time, who played for Stoy Bucharest against Rangers in the quarterfinals, no idea. Georgie had you played against us. You know that now, but if that mm-hmm. you fast forward. 25 or, or 35 years the, today's generation know Hadji better than they know the McCoys and the Durants and whatever and that's that's quite as I say it's, it's disappointing that that's that, that that's the case but uh, I it's, once you get bitten by the bug it doesn't, it doesn't matter what team you support it's very very difficult to let it go yeah, your life score updates was uh, CFAX page 302 for the football, and I think it was 3 1 over Scottish football. <laughs> yep. Yep. I think it gets now because you're sitting watching the match, so I've got like, the flash score up. And if you're watching like, any Rangers match, so I've got them like favourited. So if they score, it comes up on my phone first before it scores on the telly. So it's ruined straight away. And that's everything's just ruined because your mm-hmm. technology has just taken over. Do you know what I mean? I, because before you have to I, obviously watch it, and that's it. It's just. I, I used to get to the stage where um, I would watch match of the day on a Saturday night and I would avoid the score. And I always remember mum used to watch casualty. So casualty would be on and then you would get the news after casualty before match of the day come on. And they would say, if you don't want to know the score, look away now. I don't think I've ever ran as fast in my life running at the living room to make sure that I didn't actually get the score because <laughs> that was the sort of added extra for a Saturday your own team uh, had had done whatever they'd done, you'd kept yourself up to speed with that, and there was an added bonus on Saturday night, we'll watch match of the day, it's great. So, um, these are experiences, as I say, that it's disappointing with the amount of technology we've got these days, that um, you, even last night, 
sitting and watching the game, you've got people on Twitter, you've got people live updates and whatever. You can't actually focus on the game and you're almost sort of pushing your phone away because people are, it's so live, it's so interactive now that you don't get that same kind of immersive experience that we've had before. I've learned when I'm watching a live game, whether it be a Scotland or an Aberdeen one, I put my phone in the corner, either on charge yeah. or just out of the way so I can mm-hmm. watch it in peace because I can't bother with the WhatsApp chats that go on during it. And um, mm-hmm. as you can imagine, Aberdeen yep. fans, um, <laughs> 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 we're, we're not the easiest bunch to please, let's put it that way. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, you're, you're talking obviously um, the 90s, um, the first, probably where your um, first great Rangers teams, possibly your greatest ever the 91-97, mm-hmm. so educate young Ross here, who wasn't born mm-hmm. until 91, you know how good that Rangers team was and just to educate you a wee bit more Ross, you'll not believe us Aberdeen at the start of that nine in a row run were actually the Rangers main challengers mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, sorry before Alistair starts I remember, cool. just a quick one um, I remember my dad used to like, when he was working for his old company, he used to do jobs at this older guy's house Big Rangers fan, and he had the old like, VHS tapes of like the season reviews, and obviously now like DVDs and stuff. And it was like the Blue Bells of Blue '93, '94, and I got them. And I remember, like, after as you say, you just get submerged, and I watched them every time. So I like to think back then I still had a decent knowledge of the name in a row, as much as I wasn't. I never, I did watch through it, but I wasn't mm-hmm. like I can't remember any of it. But I still, I used to tell my pals about my question, like, oh. It was just amazing watching all these VHS tapes, and mm-hmm. you just—I wish that I was kind of like older enough to appreciate it at the time. If you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But yeah. We've all got our own eras. We've all got our own Rangers teams. Sorry, that was just a wee one there. No, hundred percent. And uh, obviously, we'll come on to it at some point. John obviously mentioned in terms of uh, what we're going to talk about in terms of text and that kind of stuff. Greatest ever uh, eleven that I've seen. And John expected that it would probably come for me with three different eras. My starting 11 is all taken for nine in a row because it was such a significant time for me as a Rangers supporter. Having been to my first game, as I said, March 88, um, that sort of initial wow factor happened to coincide with arguably one of the most successful periods in the history. But um, as, as John alluded to, sort of, and John mentioned the, uh, the League Cup final trilogy, three absolutely phenomenal matches. Um, never ever to be forgotten and um, I worked with um, for the for the Rangers in the 1980s book I spoke to 21 ex-Rangers players one of whom was Jimmy Nichol who as you would expect was fantastic company um, and obviously Coop scores that goal in the in the first of the three finals um, where Jim Layton famously said I nearly got my hand to it and Coop says I in the way back out um, but when I spoke to Jimmy Jimmy said uh, I'm claiming an assist for that I'm like, Coop essentially stepped forward and leathered that we left foot. How are you claiming an assist? And he says, uh, I told him to hit it. So, <laughs> but, but even that started in, and then the final the year after that, where, um, John, if you remember, it, it ebbs and flows. I mean, obviously, the 3 H game was fantastic the year before going mm-hmm. to penalties and whatever. But even the game the year after that, Rangers go in front where. Um, Theo Schnelders, who I've, I've, had the, I've had the chance to speak to by, uh, mm. when it came to the David Robertson book, makes a makes Amelia throw in, ironically mm. from David. Yes. Um, <laughs> thanks, thanks, Kevin Drinkle down. McCoy, McCoy scores a penalty. Uh, David Odds, who massively underrated centre forward, had a, did, a, did a good job for Rangers, both on the part and off the part. He equalises. Ian Ferguson scores a bicycle kick. 
Mm-hmm. And then David Ozzy equalizes again. And I remember I, that. <laughs> I, fantastic. And and to be a goalkeeper of Chris Wood's caliber with a head with a header like that was superb. And I remember now and I can still see it, Jim Beck and through mm-hmm. one and one with Chris Woods at two each with, with what but maybe five, six minutes to go. And Jim Beck, another one who when I spoke to the guys for the eighties was such a cultured midfield player. Um probably didn't excel at Rangers as much as what he he probably should have. But he goes through one on one with the goalkeeper and screws it wide of the post. Chance to, I think Archie McPherson in commentary in commentary said the chance to win the cup. Yeah. And then obviously got the park and um David <laughs> David when we spoke about it said he had an absolute nightmare. He let Gary Stevens in. Gary Stevens leathers a leathers a shot and it um like it's turned around for the corner from the corner kick McCoy scores the winner. Phenomenal. And even the year after that when Paul Mason scores twice and Mark Walter scores a penalty. Um it was just just a phenomenal time and you can't mention that era without talking about the last day decider. Yeah. Uh, which having worked with Mark, uh, Mark mm. Haley, obviously that's a it's a hugely significant game in his career. But the lead up to that, again, back to the days of the, the old trade listening to games and radios, I couldn't I couldn't believe it at Mother. I mean obviously I think we Rangers were in a position first of March we went to Petodrian, we were seven points clear and everybody's like Rangers come out of this without losing the game. It's a done deal. And even when Aberdeen won, I think it was it Hans Hill. Hans Hill's last minute for Robertson cross, yeah. yeah. Hans Hill who scores a goal. And you're thinking, even then, it's five points. There's no way that Aberdeen will make that. But Aberdeen just went in this phenomenal run that season. Yeah. Uh, and and it got to the penultimate fixture. Mark Walters misses a penalty at Fur Park. And Doogie Arnott, who was always a scourge of the old firm, scores. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think David said to me, the Aberdeen players were sitting in the dressing room. Heard it was 2 nothing, And I think Aberdeen beat St. Johnson 2-1. So yes. at that stage, Rangers were still in front. And then Motherwell scored. Um, and all of a sudden, boom, uh, it's on. And um, the last day was just was just crazy. It, don't get me wrong, I don't think at, um, at the age I'm at now, I could take a final day decider like that again. Just incredible. Uh, Ibrooks was in the throes of reconstruction at the time, Ross. So the club deck was in the process of being built. So David told me that the Aberdeen players got changed in a porter cabin, and they said it was the porter cabin was bouncing because of the atmosphere. Um, but even then, we talked about. Sorry, I mentioned Jim Bett's chance in the in the '88 League Cup final. Hans Hillhouse had a chance that day. Peter Van de Ven had a chance. Jim Bett as well had a chance for the ball broke to the edge of the box and they fired it over the bar. Any of those go in then it's a completely different game, but an absolutely phenomenal header from, from across where Mark Walters was off balance, fired it into the area. Obviously, Mark gets the jump in, Alex McLeish scores the goal. But I think um, had the game been played in today's um, society, um, I don't think Mark would have been on the park at that time because obviously Michael Watt had come in for Theo Schnellders and he'd... he'd he basically said to the likes of um, Scott Nisbet and Gary Stevens, seen the first couple of minutes, just launch one into the box. It doesn't matter whether you're going to find me or not. And uh, and his game plan was to let Michael Watt know he was there. And unfortunately for that, for the Aberdeen fans, when it came to the second goal, Michael Watt was didn't have his eye on the ball. Morris Johnson half hits a shot for the edge of the box that Michael Watt should have dealt with comfortably. Out the corner of his eye, so Mark coming in and he's fumbled it. Mark Hitler scores, makes it 2 nothing. But just a great era. Um, and obviously with Graham leaving that season as well, Walter coming in, 
Um, it was just just a fantastic time and sort of moved through 92-93 where arguably we should probably have won the European Cup. Thanks for putting me through that, I really appreciate that. But see, we moved through sort of 91-92 into 92-93, phenomenal 44 games unbeaten that season, 10 games unbeaten in the Champions League um, at a time when the Champions League was the Champions League Mm. Um, and with a bit of luck and dare I say it, a bit less of the shenanigans that went on at Marseille probably deserved to make the final against AC Milan that year. Yeah. Um, and then moving on beyond that to sort of 94-95, uh, Loudrop comes in. And that that pre-season, we signed Loudrop and Basil Bolly. And kind of similar to what we were saying earlier about fans' perceptions, nobody had heard of Brian Loudrop. Yeah, we'd heard about Michael Loudrop, his brother, and all this kind of stuff. And everybody was bouncing because we'd signed Basil Bolly. Because Basel Bolly was this European Cup winning French international centre half. And it was almost as if Brian Ludrup's signing was incidental, but what a signing. What a, what a piece of work again from Walter Smith. Because mm-hmm. for me, um, no surprises when it comes to the greatest 11 he's in it, because he is head and shoulders above the vast majority of players that I've seen in terms of creative sense in this country in the last 30 years. Uh, and Bolly Bond. He, he just didn't adapt and as as much as Scottish football's criticised the Basel Bowley story for me illustrates just how difficult our game is up here this is a guy who as I said European Cup winning centre half international <laughs> probably what probably could sit in that bracket of world class centre half and he flopped in this country so that that for me isn't an indictment in the Scottish game it Adds sort of kudos to the Scottish game that you know what you need to be of a certain mindset, you need to have a certain mentality to play in this country. Uh, and then obviously the following season we bring in Gascoigne, which we talked about Aaron Ramsey earlier, and and and, and said earlier this week that the Aaron Ramsey signing similar to Gascoigne. Uh, so at that time as a Rangers supporter, you're pushing what pushing towards eight in a row, and then the the nine in a row is is on the horizon. But you're sitting watching the likes of Gascoigne and Loudrop every week. McCoy scoring goals left, right and centre. Um, Richard Goff, redoubtable at centre-half. Even guys like John Brown, um, hugely underrated. Probably one of the, the best players not to be capped for Scotland in that era. Um, and um, another one who I didn't feel get the credit he deserved, Ian Ferguson. Just, just a fantastic team. Just a fantastic squad of players and a fantastic experience. And... All bias aside, 97, 98, a season too far, potentially, for some of them. But how do you, um, Walter Smith at that time, how do you say to guys like Alan McCoy, you know what, 35, your, your race is run with us, go. Hmm. Yet, Coyste comes on the tail end of that season and breathes a bit of life back into us and pushed us as close as we could get to getting over the line. But Should uh, have been the World a, Cup squad that year. Strange decision. Grey Brains admits it. Brains admits it. Strange decision, but yeah, fantastic time to be a Rangers supporter. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's also a great era. Um, so Josh um, asks, uh, we did put quite a, um, questions out on Twitter, but nobody got back to us. But we already a couple on our WhatsApp group, thankfully. So Josh asks, mm-hmm. um, sure. what was the main reasons that Rangers did not win 10 in a row? But you've just proved um, to be fair because you kept an Asian squad essentially, and the foreigners that you brought I, in didn't quite hit the ground running. I don't think I don't think the likes of Perini and but and Amoroso I, was injured. I mention 
I'll mention one player here mm-hmm. for the for one of the reasons that I think Ten of the Road didn't have is Marco Negri. If he continues that scoring form in the second half of the season, it doesn't matter how many goals you're conceding. What was it? 37 goals by Christmas. Had he not got injured or whatever the, the conjecture, speculation is regarding Marco Negri at that time, had he kept himself relatively fit, I think he scored two goals from January to, to May that year. Had he kept that going, that, that's a significant reason. I think... Um, God rest him, I've spoken to Walter a few times. He admits himself that announcing in October that he was going didn't help because you've got guys like Andy Gorham, Stuart McCall, McCoyst, who know, given the the age that they're at, new manager comes in, new broom sweeps clean, chances are they're not going to be there at the end of the season. So I think that affected the mentality as well. Um, but we got hell of a close, um, considering that with two games to go, it was nap and tuck. And ironically, um, it was Aberdeen that did for us because I think we beat Celtic um, twice within within a fortnight, beat in the Scottish Cup semi-final. Mm-hmm. Uh, McCoy's and, jo- and George Albert scored, McCoy's with a diving header. And then the following week, um, Jonas Tern ripped one in for 25 mm-hmm. yards, George Albert scores again, and Rangers were in front. And the following weekend, ironically, um, Lorenzo Amoruso, who had come in um, four million pounds in the summer and get injured straight away. He comes back, makes his debut and gets sent off at Petodre. Aberdeen win one nothing, and the pendulum swings back in Celtic's direction. And it, and it did that for the rest of the season, even right the way down to to the last fixture. I remember Roy Ibrooks and watching the the game from Tannadice on the big screens, still thinking there was a chance, um, even though Celtic were, were at home and and had the advantage. Um, but there were a number of reasons, but that squad was so strong and had such a, we talked about mentality earlier, they had such a strong winning mentality that it was never over. It was never going to be that Celtic were, were going to canter to the title that year. It, it was just circumstances that resulted in Rangers no winning. Yeah, definitely. It's just, what, it's just also one of these things, but as you say, you, you were really close, um, whereas you look at how Celtic um, tried to defend, they get to 10 last season and they imploded, so... Uh, yeah, that exactly. shows a lot about the, the spirit and the manager that you had at that time, God rest his soul. Um, what, um, what was your other kind of... Fa- I mean, you also mentioned 90s being your favourite era, and that's obviously going to be a standout. What's your other kind of favourite eras? Because, I mean, I, I pinpointed, like, 98 to 9, um, 03, the start of Advocat and the Alec McLeish. I thought Alec McLeish was very underrated as Rangers manager. And then Walter's second spell, 07 to 11. Um, both good spells. Um, I, would, I would agree with your sentiment there and Alex McLeish um, probably in the top five memories I've got as a Rangers supporter you've got the Scottish Cup final in 2002 Loving Cran scores in the last minute against Celtic that's my favourite um, ever fantastic absolutely, absolutely fantastic I still goal. remember watching it and I still I think it was a lockdown uh, like the first mm-hmm. lockdown and I think BBC Scotland have been reruns like, I think Aberdeen Rangers um, the last to decide there was one and the it was one. <laughs> <laughs> and I was saying, uh, I remember me and my fiance at the time, I was like, can't I go anywhere? And I think it was a Sunday night. I said, right, I'll have a few beers and I'll watch this. I was like, you've seen it so many times. Like, but you can't, mm-hmm. it's a feel, the full game's getting played. And I still had the same feeling when Loving Clan scored them when I did. Mm-hmm. When I was yeah. 11 watching it, it was just as yeah. goosebumps. And mm-hmm. it's, I still, it's, every time I see it, it's, it's mm-hmm. incredible. And, He's got the two. He, you've got the two final day deciders as well under uh, McLeish, yeah. two thousand two, two thousand three, where it was essentially a turkey, a turkey shoot at both venues. 
who's going to score more here? Uh, Rangers against Infermline and, and, and Celtic at Rugby Park. Um, but probably the pinnacle for, uh, from Alex McLeish's era was, was Helicopter Sunday. Phenomenal. The, I don't, kind of similar to what we were talking about earlier, nobody expected the result to go the way it went last night and in terms of the game to play out the way it did. I don't think anybody, even the most optimistic Rangers fan, would have expected um, Rangers to win the title that day. And I remember I was in, um, I was in East Kilbride that day and none of the pubs in East Kilbride were showing the Rangers game because I think it was split between two channels. So the Rangers game would have been one Sky channel and the Motherwell Celtic game would have channel. And the, uh, and I couldn't get anything. I couldn't get any venue where they were showing the game. So again, I was back to listening to it on the radio um, because everybody was adamant. Celtic are going Motherwell. They've got John Hartson. They've got Chris Sutton. Stillian Petrov. They've got such a fantastic squad. There's no way that they're going to go to Motherwell and lose this game. But not only did they go and lose it, they lose it in the last minute. And we talked about the title race earlier. Yes, I think everybody would, would say... If it's my team, I want to win the league, I want to relax towards the end of the season. There's nothing better than winning it in with the last kick of the ball or scoring in the last minute, getting that last minute winning. It's, it's such an exhilarating experience that as much as it's no good for your heart and whatever, and it's no good for your health, <laughs> as a football supporter, these are the moments that you remember. You don't remember. It, yeah, as I said, 55 was huge and mm-hmm. the day we clinched it against St Mern and obviously when Celtic drew it at Tannadice the following day, It'll live long in the memory, but it'll live long in the memory because of the, the significance of the title, not because of how it was won. Mm-hmm. Whereas things like, uh, like 2004, 2005, 2002, 2003, 1991, just to bring it up again, John, because I know you like to These are the ones that stick out for you because it, it's, it's interesting when Ross said earlier, watching it back, it's, it's still the same experience 20 odd years later. Phenomenal. Yeah, it's just as you say. I think as how big last year was, I kind of took over the fact that it won the title because I can, I can still remember like two thousand three, five, even two thousand nine when we beat United three 0 I still yep. remember watching that with my, with my girlfriend, and my wife. Now, but she was a big Rangers fan as well. I still remember watching that even uh, twenty eleven with the Lafferty hat. That kind of first 10, mm-hmm. 15 minutes spell when we went what three 0 up. It was incredible watching that on a stream on my phone. <laughs> um, and. I, they're the ones that you look back and this is the yeah. and you go I say there's nothing that beats the last day decider nothing no. at all no. as long as you won it that's the thing <laughs> oh, exactly yeah. I won the last four so it's not too bad exactly well <laughs> uh, obviously you talked about um, the, the sort of second Walter Smith era can I talk about the second Walter Smith era without talking about Manchester and the run to Manchester and I remember being at the Lyon game at home and uh, Benzema scored twice and they could beat 3 nothing. and you're thinking we had a real opportunity here to qualify for the latter stages of the Champions League and you wa- we walked to Ibrox that night going hey, we're in the UEFA Cup big deal yeah. it, it's, it, it was so, you were so deflated walking out the ground because we'd obviously beaten Stuttgart um, we'd, we'd gone to Lyon and won 3 nil. and you're thinking Crikey, we, are, we are box seats here um, for a decent run at this and that was the feeling. That was the overwhelming feeling when you left the stadium that night. But what a run. Mm-hmm. What a run after that. And probably Panathinaikis, you're thinking, all right, okay, so we're past Panathinaikis. But then you go Verder Bremen and you go to Sport in Lisbon and you go to Fiorentina. What a, what a fantastic time. And I remember when we naturally scored the penalty in Florence 
uh, my best mate, he was a police officer, and he, and he phoned me straight away. He says, "I'm changing my shifts. I'm changing my shifts already. I've already, I've already, I've already messaged my gaffer. He says we're gone. He says I don't care if we get tickets, we're gone. And what a day! Uh, I think we left about seven o'clock in the morning, um, and we we couldn't get anything in Manchester, so we stayed in Blackpool. We got a wee B and B in Blackpool, um, and we came out of the um, the B and B once we we sort of checked in and all that kind of stuff. And the queue for the train station to get a train for Blackpool into Manchester was massive. And uh, the two of us were like, no, we can't wait. We need to get in there, we need to experience this. So we paid 90 quid for a taxi. <laughs> From Blackpool into Manchester. And we didn't we did buy an island. We didn't even think twice about it because we wanted to get there. We wanted to experience that. Right, right. Um, and... <laughs> Again, we talked about people being these sort of online tacticians and all this kind of stuff. So that one of the things that rankles with me about that um, that season in the UEFA Cup final is the amount of criticism that Walter Smith got because he didn't go for it. He wasn't bold in the final. He didn't change the approach that was, that was successful in getting Rangers to that stage. And that rankles with me because had he gone for it against a team of that calibre, it wouldn't have been 71 minutes in before they scored first. Mm-hmm. And in fairness... He did make the changes. He, he did try and effect the changes. Nat, Natural Nova's got a chance at one nothing that um, he he should. I think he snatches at it. He should he should probably score. But to to criticise him for not going for it and for some people to say that their memories of Walter Smith's time at Rangers are are kind of tarnished by the fact that he didn't go for it in Manchester. It takes away from that fantastic experience. It was it was such a phenomenal day from start to finish, and um, we even got to the stage where. Um, we we didn't know how we were going to get back, and obviously, as I say, we we paid for a taxi to get in. So, how the hell were we going to get back from Manchester to to Blackpool? But we met somebody who knew my mate, and and he basically said, "Look, I'm not drinking. I'll drive you back to to Blackpool." It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, it just again memories that that stick out for you, and just uh, um, unexpected. We you see walking out of Ibrox that kind of December night thinking we should be in the last stages of the Champions League all we had to do was avoid defeat I think, think Jean-Claude Darcheville missed a sitter at one nothing. all yes. we needed was a draw he missed an absolute sitter underneath the crossbar and you walk out deflated yet six months later you've had one of the best experiences you've had as a football supporter watching your team in a European final fantastic I think, I think that season for me it's either like 2002-2003 or 07 or 08, just obviously the, the cup, the UF Cup run. That's probably my favourite season. But mm-hmm. that, um, I remember my, obviously when we got to the final, and I think it was because I'm young enough, I was at school then. Um, probably the old guys here. <laughs> <laughs> and my pal, uh, pal, my English, we had my into English exam the next day after the final. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there chatting. I was like, oh, you revised this. I'm not going to the exam, I'm going to the game. I'm going to be back. Mm-hmm. What? Ah, we'll be sitting next year. It's all right. So I went to the game, went down, blah, 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 blah. Brilliant. Absolute class. I mean, that's how much it means to people. Mm-hmm. Massive. To go yep. and just... You never come back, you left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. but, it was like it was like a convoy going down the M6. That day. Yeah, it was... It was a day. It come, like, I speak to him after it and he said it was... Uh, it was you can't describe it to people that weren't there. And mm-hmm. it's one of the ones that you look back and go, you wish you went. But it, it just looked amazing. And I think when, when you look back, obviously, saying about people criticising... Um, Smith for like, the team and stuff. 
Mm. And I've always wondered if like Daniel Kuzan played if it was hundred percent because 100%. he was. I never. I rated him. He was, he was he's such a big game player. Mm. Can turn up against Celtic, as you say, uh, yeah. Leon. I think he would have made a massive difference in that match. I'm not saying we won it. I'm saying. Dare I say it, we, we talked about um, Alfredo Morelos earlier in terms of his sort of enigmaticness, mm-hmm. if you like, and how unpredictable he was. Daniel Cousin in his day, and I remember we at Parkhead and won 4 uh, 2. Daniel Cousin right, well, was yeah. unplayable <laughs> that day. Unplayable oh. that day. And there was, the, there was obviously that kind of Jekyll and Hyde side of things, which is why he gets sent off in the semi final against Fiorentina. Yeah. yeah. But that occasion, John Claude Dashville was great for us. I think he did yeah. a fantastic job, but Daniel Cusano offered us something different. And that, for me, would would have made a huge difference. But that's that's why we love the game as much as we do, because um, these are the margins sometimes between success and failure. Um, had, you, had Daniel Cusano still been in the part in Florence, he might have taken a penalty, and he might have missed a penalty. You just don't know. You just don't know. Exactly, um, but yeah, he was a bit of an enigma. Um, Kuzan sometimes he, was. he just wasn't interested. Um, but other mean, you could play him against St. Mirren and you would know, you wouldn't mm-hmm. see him. And then he'd turn up yeah. at Parkhead and score an absolute cracking goal. We'd run the show, it's mm-hmm. so weird, yeah. but yeah, you never know. It's football, it's strange. Mm-hmm. Um, so you also all these memories, plenty of things to um to write about. So, where did the love yeah. of writing start for you? Um, listen, I've always been kind of, I always like to immerse myself in. In history um, of not just Rangers, I mean, obviously that's my focus, um, that's my team, so therefore um, digging back, I, I mean, of late I've uh, I've just done a wee bit of analysis of goalkeepers that have played for the club back to founding fathers and all that kind of stuff, just to try and sort of un- get that kind of depth and detail and understand that, um, but I've always been interested in what's happened before, what's happened in different eras. Um, 60s and 70s, again, if I could have my time again, as much as I was fortunate to um, to uh, to be a Rangers supporter in sort of 80s and 90s and whatever, I'd love to go back to the 50s, 60s, 70s, where you were playing two, three, five formations and you'd you'd, you'd outside right, inside right, centre forward, inside left and outside left, and you were playing with two full-backs and three half-backs. I'd love to see a team playing like that, and the 80, 90,000 crowds and all that kind of stuff. So that kind of that kind of grabbed me, and you dig through stuff, and you're thinking, and all of a sudden you just find yourself typing stuff out, um, and you find that you've got a kind of natural talent for it. And um, number of times I've said that, whether it be we David Wilson um, or David David Robertson, you take a flyer and you just ask the question. At the end of the day, sending a message to these people, if they say no, they say no, but. If they pick up on it and they take it on, then great. And obviously, we've all had our challenges over the last couple of years um, through COVID and the um, and the situation that's left us in. From a, from a mental health point of view, it's huge. Um, having having gone through my own challenges and that side of things, one of the pieces of advice given to me was doing something like writing, doing something creative, can be really really good. It can it can really boost your mental health and and I have found that I have found the benefits of um, writing to um, to give me that kind of kind of level, if you like, and sort of um, take take away the the kind of negative of that, if you like. So um, 
that's kind of where it started and it spawned three, four, five books in the last few years and um, given me the opportunity to speak to, I mean, we talked about nine in a row year earlier, I think I've probably spoken to the vast majority, if not all, of the players that I idolised in that year through through the books that I've done, particularly with David and particularly uh, latterly with Mark. But even with David Wilson's book, um, took a flyer with Manchester United and said, any chance uh, Sir Alex would speak to me? And you're thinking, if, if I don't get anything that, I don't get anything that. 40 minutes on the phone with Sir Alex Ferguson. And we didn't just talk about David Wilson, we talked about Rangers, we talked about football in general, we talked about his upbringing and all that kind of stuff. It's golden. <laughs> sitting in the car, I was sitting, sitting in the car when I took the call at work, and sometimes you, you've got to pinch yourself and say, I'm speaking to, speaking to Alex Ferguson here. For Mark's book, I spoke to Arsene Wenger. It's, it's absolute madness at times. A, a humble, ordinary punter getting that opportunity. Cost his murder. Right? I've spoken to him now for David's book, I've spoken to him for, for Mark Kately's book, and it's lastminute.com, but see when you get him, it's absolutely golden, because this is a guy who, for me, um, is right at the top, greatest ever ranger, as far as I'm concerned, in my, in my time. Um, and to have him as, dare I say, a contact and still somebody that contributes to group chats that I've got is phenomenal. And he's so, and he doesn't just come on and go, right, Alistair, we need to talk about the subject, nothing else. He's like, how's it, how's it going? He asks you about your family. He, he, we talk about how things are going at the moment with Rangers and we talk about football in general. And it, it's a very humbling experience uh, to be in that position. But I guess it's through the track record that I've kind of built up with with the books that I've done, that these guys are trust me enough that they can speak to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm always open and honest with them. I say, look, it doesn't matter what I write, I'll send it to you first. If you don't like it, I'll change it. I'll make the necessary changes as required. But you get to sign this off first. That, this doesn't go to a publisher, this doesn't go to print until you're happy with this. But, um, mm-hmm. And that continues now. Even when I speak to them now, if I do any, any articles or whatever, um, there's always that tr- uh, transparency and I think that openness and, and honesty has been yeah. huge in terms of getting that trust if you like from them so mm-hmm. um, long may it continue as I said the, the my, my 80s group chat was red hot last night with guys <laughs> guys like Colin Miller for Canada and um, guys Stuart Monroe in, in Australia sort of messaging back and forth about the game and again when your phone flashes up with these people um, messaging even now. I mean, I mean, eighties book was what twenty nineteen, so that's three years ago, and it's, e- it's even kind of recognised now as um, I'm sort of bringing these guys, bringing these guys into a forum where they're discussing things, and they, and they are reminiscing about their time as as Rangers players and whatever. And it's great. Uh, sometimes I'll just sit back and let them chat and um, um, sort of share their experiences, but. To get the kind of inside story at that time, to get the players' perspective is is uh, it's it's quite unique, and I, uh, and I feel very fortunate to be in that position. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I've obviously been doing interviews for podcasts for the last couple of years, and obviously you're aware of the book that I'm doing. And as yep. you say, being upfront and honest. Like we, so, when when I approach someone for a book, uh, you know, it's not to trip people up. It's just a case of no. this is what I'm writing about. 
this is all I'm interested in. And that's, you know, as long as you're honest with them up front, you know, the same with when I approached David Robertson, you know, he was maybe thinking, an Aberdeen fan wouldn't speak to me. Um, but it couldn't have been more brand new. But then I suppose for someone who's working in a war zone, meeting two Aberdeen fans is not going to face them in the slightest. Listen, see, when it came to, um, see, when it came to David's book, obviously I was, I was aware of his time at Aberdeen. Uh, aware of his time at Rangers. Some of the music got was shocking, by the way. I'll give, uh, I'll give him that. But he was honest and, that he was being naive uh, about it yeah. as well. And obviously the the sort of injury played time at Leeds and whatever. But how the guy and obviously we can a message back and forth. How the guy still has the has the drive to go back to Kashmir every year. It just shows his love of the game. I, I mean, some of the stuff that's in the book is, it's incredible what he's been through. Um, and David, uh, open and honest, when I talked about open and honest with Ramon approach, David was open and honest with me. He said, when it came to Kashmir, I kind of went along the lines of, um, I thought India was sunny. I thought India was the most beautiful country in the world and whatever. He says, I touched down in Kashmir and there was about three inches of snow at the airport. So he said, I, I then come out through the terminal building and there's guys standing with guns and this guy meets me and he takes me through and there's donkeys running about the streets and all this kind of stuff. And He then goes there almost on trial because I think he'd went for two or three games, went on trial and annoyed Kim, his wife, to the extent that she was left in Phoenix, Arizona trying to kind of tidy up their house at that time. Um, so puts his marriage in the line Goes across there and goes, ah, it's, it's no great, but I'll go back. And he continues to go back. One of the things that surprises me with David is I, I can't understand why nobody in this country has offered him an opportunity. Goes out there on a very limited budget, wins the second division title, gets them close to winning the I League title, continues to have them at a, at a competitive level out there obviously can get the best out of players who don't have the same level of ability, dare I say, as some of the teams in this country. Mm. But nobody seems to seems to take that punt on them. And he said to me a couple of times that the perception of him through the documentaries, which were excellent, both the BBC documentaries were excellent, he feels that the perception of him is that he's this foul-mouthed, angry guy that shouts and swears all the time. But again, through, through the contacts I got, He's not that guy. He, he is very player-centred. Um, he, he wants to motivate. He wants to make sure he's play, he gets the best out of his players. But unfortunately, people, certainly today when we talked about social media, people form their perceptions of people and they stick to that. It doesn't matter whether you read about them and go, do you know what, this guy's done this, that and the next thing. I bet he swore in the BBC documentary, so therefore that's the way he is. And it's very, very difficult now to to shift that mindset for people. Um, and um, I, I try, certainly st- through some of the people I've written about, to, to, to sort of give all angles. I mean, obviously, Martin was keen. This, this was his third book, Mark Hately. It was his third book. And he was keen that this was going to be all-encompassing. It wasn't just going to be about football. It was going to be about his personal life. It was going to be, his, uh, be about his relationship with his dad and stuff like that. Um, and the fact that these people feel comfortable enough to share quite intimate personal um, experiences with me um, again is um, something that I'm very very 
very, very proud of that that I've obviously developed enough of of a reputation over the time. But personally for me, it's just I get as much satisfaction out of speaking to people and, and seeing a book published as what probably these guys do at either saving a goal or, or scoring a goal. For me, I was never as much as every football supporter's got an ambition to play for their club, I was never ever going to be good enough to be a professional football player. So this for me is the next best thing. Writing about football, kind of immersing myself in the history of a football club and um, getting the chance to speak to guys who are idolised, that for me gives me as much a buzz probably as what these guys go out of scoring goals on a on a Saturday afternoon. So do you think sorry, do you think it's when you're saying about chatting like to Mark Haley and obviously mm-hmm. the main focus is like the footballing point of view? Did you find that like, obviously more of a challenge writing about like their personal life and him kind of telling you stuff and then you've obviously you're documenting it? Do you find that harder to write than the football stuff, if that makes sense? Aye. No, it's it's harder, because, but, I mean, yeah, because uh, you know the football stuff, whereas it's mm-hmm. you're obviously gonna to have to turn it to a point of view where it's, it's his personal life. Do you know what I mean? It's difficult because... Hi. Cool. Sorry, I, was, I was just always wondering how people done it. I do it when you read books and stuff and you must think it can... He's a, the author's chatting to the person and they're trusting them, obviously, to kind of tell their mm-hmm. story. And I've always found that it must be so much harder to write that than as opposed to writing about that kind of football career. 100% because irrespective of how much they're prepared to be open and honest and share that kind of, that kind of personal side, there's still a line. There's still other people involved. I mean, obviously, Mark was telling me about his um, the breakdown of his marriage and his um, the impact it had on his kids. At the end of the day, his, his ex-wife's picking up the book, and whether she chooses to to or otherwise, mutual friends might pick up the book. So you've got to take cognizance of that. And whilst I would I wouldn't necessarily go to the stage of sharing it with are you alright with this type of thing, you still yeah. need to write it in such a manner that it's balanced. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is a bit more of a challenge than when Mark went out and scored this and he, and he felt mm-hmm. like this at that time and whatever um, that's more straightforward to write but yeah. the personal side of things I think needs to come out if you're doing an autobiography um, it, it can't just be um, they played in this game they played in that game they did that did the next thing and see when they left um, the training ground or, or when they left the game on the, uh, the ground on Saturday that was it until they come back in the next morning. Everybody's got a story to tell. Everybody's got a life outside the game. So, so it's important to bring that through. Yeah, I think, I think those are the best. Mm-hmm. Best about it. Like, I don't know. Like, I read like, on Vegas's one, and that's probably mm-hmm. one of the best ones I've read because it just Phenomenal. touches like, so many. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you, you read that and you go, I never ever knew that. And then, mm-hmm. as you say, obviously called open, but it's just incredible that you would document that mm-hmm. and how many people are picking it up. And you're putting your life mm-hmm. in pages and people are telling you about yeah. it. Exactly. But but as the as the sort of ghostwriter, if you like, or the or the person that's collaborating, that's the that's the bit that you want to make sure is absolutely bang on yeah. the money. Right? Yeah. So it doesn't matter whether it's a contributor to the book or whether it's the subject matter of the book, everything goes to them before it goes out. But that's the bit that particularly with Mark's book that I found go required the most fine tuning so mm. I would speak to Mark for half an hour, 40 minutes or whatever shape something up, send it to him and we would have a call and we would, and we would edit accordingly 
but the personal side of things is the bit that, in terms of wording it appropriately and getting that balance, that that's a challenge. And I think with Mark's book, we've managed to do it. I think we've managed to get the message across. Um, and he said on a number of occasions in terms of how successful it is, um, it'll be what it'll be, but he's got the book that he wanted to get out of this because I think his previous two didn't go into the level of detail that, that, that we've got into in this one. So as the guy that collaborates with, be it Mark or David or whatever, my goal, if you like, um, rightly or wrongly, isn't necessarily that it's going to sell millions and millions of copies. It's first and foremost that the subject matter is happy with what I do because that's what, what what's developed the reputation through the David Wilson book, then moving on to David Robertson, even back to the 80s book, it's developed that reputation where Mark's comfortable putting me in touch with this person, David's comfortable with putting me in touch with this, this person and that person and sharing their, their contact details because they know what they're going to get. Um, yeah, I think... But I, the personal side of it is, is a challenge to write and, and just get it absolutely the way it should be um, but if if there was to be advice for anybody that is doing an autobiography, if, if you're covering that personal side, you just keep it open. You don't necessarily go, oh, that's a massive juicy tip, but this is going to sell this. I'm going to put this in and I'm not going to tell the subject matter, I'm going to put it in. And the first time they know it's in, it's when it goes into print. That's not a road to go down because that abuses trust. And then when it comes to potentially moving on to your next project and the project after that, that's it's burning bridges that that you can quite easily build if you just have that relationship with your subject matter, and that's important. It's, it's, you see it so many times, like you see so many people release, release books and stuff, and it's getting the teasers and stuff and these stories, mm -hmm. and it's it, like the sale. And I kind of wonder, John's probably the same, you're probably the same as can another like a book lover, a reader, a writer. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'd rather read a book that, as you say, is open, is honest, you're building mm -hmm. connections, you're telling it a story. Mm -hmm. the whole way through, you're not just releasing the wee bits of the shite. Mm -hmm. um, I just can't believe how stuff gets published. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You go to us, doesn't see like at Christmas, the biographies, like Katie Price but, ones and stuff, and you go, Jesus, like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> but, but Ross, they are the ones that skyrocket. They're the ones yeah, exactly. that sell that's, that's the, the, problem. the that's thousands the problem. and thousands and whatever. And that's the balance where yeah. you go, what am I doing this for? Am I doing this because I want to carve a, a niche for myself? in this sort of market where I am this open, honest guy, I'll, uh, I'm transparent, I'll, I'll speak to you, I'll, I'll put in what you want me to put in, or am I going to be this sort of shock jock guy that's going to do the sensational stuff and the the book that I write skyrockets, but see if it comes to spawning future projects, I've bumped yeah. this bridge, I've bumped that bridge, and I've bumped the next bridge. And that's, that's where you've kind of got to get your head in and I always put the football head on when it comes to it for me and it is, do you know what, I've got contacts with these people, I've got a relationship with these people and I don't want to sully that relationship by going as sensational um, as I want to be, not necessarily that I want to be or as the public would want me to be, it's about ultimately they're bringing me on board to work with them on their book but it's their story and yeah. I can, I've I've done books before where you don't necessarily, you can write a history book and whatever and you can read March reports and you can read contemporary reports and whatever and you don't necessarily get that input. You can quote from newspapers and whatever. You don't get that personal side of things. But they don't fly as much 
as something where you're getting that personal insight and getting that personal perspective. As I said earlier in the call, I spoke to Terry Butcher on Monday. We're doing a piece at the moment on 86, 87. Um, and Terry is so accommodating. He says, anytime, just phone me. And we were on the phone for about 35, 40 minutes on Monday. But that's through the relationship that I've built with Terry through the work that I've done. He's quite happy to contribute to that article because he knows that when that article's written, I'll send it to him first before it's published. And if he's happy with what's in there, great. If he's not, we'll make the necessary changes such that it, it, it's still, uh, you still have the impact of Terry, but Terry Butcher's being quoted in this article. It's a, it's a contemporary, or it's a, it's a up-to-date account of Terry's memories. Yeah. But by the same token, he's happy with what's there. And then when it comes to the next time, if I want to speak to about it, if, if we're doing an article on 1991 when Terry obviously leaves or whatever, he's happy enough to contribute to that because he's seen yeah. the track. You've built up that track record, track record. You've developed that track record. You've developed that trust. So huge. I think, yeah, I think yeah. it's. I think sorry, John. I think what we're kind of everyone wants to make millions for selling a book. I mean, that's yeah. that's that you want to do. It, that's it. It's like right. Mm -hmm. But I think kind of John you, when John said um, recommended to speak to Craig Brown. He spoke to Craig Brown and stuff and. Mm -hmm. It was just amazing. I've got that experience of speaking to a former Scotland manager. Spoke for an hour. I didn't have to give me the time. It was when the open was on. They had to turn the golf off to speak to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we're chatting away. And I mean, I, I still remember it. And he was just like, anytime. And he was like, where are you from? Kirkcaldy. Oh, I'm the old Dan Fife son. Jim Weishman band. Mm -hmm. And just wee stories. And you just, get, yeah. ah, you, just, right. you just get a laugh. And that's the sort of stuff you can tell your kids and your grandkids. And when you look exactly. at it, as you say, somebody's trusting you. And he sent me pictures and stuff. And he goes, look. Anything else, I'll try and get contacts. Ah, it's brilliant. It's, 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 it, like what you say about Ferguson, it's stuff you'll never forget. No, and it's 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 easy to, to take the route of, do you know what, I really enjoy doing this. I want to do this for a living, but see, to do this for a living, I've got to get something that's absolutely sensational yeah. and it's, yeah. it's controversial, and particularly when it comes to the, the domain that I'm working in, the sort of football side of things, they want the nitty gritty, they want the dirty stuff and whatever. But the dirty stuff doesn't get you, unfortunately, that reputation. It doesn't yeah. get you that opportunity to, to then move on. So you get the one big hitter. But then see when you come to put the feelers out for book number two or book number three or yeah. book number four. Nah, I'm not speaking to you this thing. And then all of a sudden you your you, your value within the market depreciates. So it's about finding your level is the advice that I would give to anybody that's aspiring to do this. You find your level and you are, particularly if you're speaking to, to people, I'm obviously John, you've obviously spoke to Goffey, who I, I spoke to for an hour and 40 minutes in a hotel um, in Glasgow, which again, nine in a row captain, phenomenal. And he, I, he, uh, I'm, I'm still in touch with Richard now, I send him pictures, he posts a lot of the pictures that I send him on Facebook and whatever. Um, and, He's he corresponds with me because we developed that relationship, um, and that's the key thing. If you are going down this route and you want people to contribute and you want people to speak to you, just be open with them and sh sh share as much as you can. If you want to, if you want to go sensational, then it's probably to be one hit, and then you're going to, need to dig quite deep mm -hmm. to go beyond that. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> 
I'm not into the sensational stuff. I just want a proper story out there, and I'm sure mm-hmm. Ross is the same. So, um, as you know, me and Ross are obviously writing um, books. Um, Mine's mm-hmm. out later this year. Ross has um, got All Roads Lead, Lead to Paris um, coming out next mm-hmm. year. What advice would you give to aspiring writers, to myself, Ross, and, um, and plenty of others who want to do a bit less? I know you've alluded to some of it, but what would be the mm-hmm. ultimate one for you? Trust, mainly? Trust is huge. Uh, particularly if you're doing autobiographical stuff and you're looking for contributors to that because, um, as I say, you've got people contributing to, say, David's book or Mark's book that don't necessarily have their own autobiography out. So there's an opportunity there for potential future projects. Um, so it's it's huge that having been given that contact that you develop the relationship in that sort of open and honest manner I'm big on verification as well. Um, as much as the guys are great and they're fantastic and they're, they they give you inside stories, I always look to verify some of the stuff that they tell me because even though it's Mark's story or it's David's story or it's Wee David Wilson's story, it still needs to tie up with what actually happened. So having a robust verification strategy for me is massive. Uh, and it's something that I try very, very hard to do with every book that I write uh, because there's nothing worse than picking up a book, be it a book about Rangers or a book about football, and you read through it and go, that's not right. That doesn't tie up with what I know. So openness, honesty with the subject matter and end that you speak to and that robust verification strategy. There's so much opportunity now with online resources I'm, I'm one of the guys I spoke to this week suggested the um, the archive for the British newspapers. Huge, huge, because that then gives you the opportunity to go back to contemporary accounts. You're not necessarily just going on what you've read somewhere. You're actually reading it as it happened at the time. And that's that deeper dive or that deeper dig into your research is huge. Um, and particularly when it comes to, uh, to the autobiographical stuff, don't just take it as read. Do that digging. Do that sort of background and build the, the bigger picture because doing that research, not necessarily as you're writing, but before you speak to the person, it stimulates the memories for them because it's something that they've maybe forgotten about. And you mention it and you say that you've done this. That helps. It's almost like the openness and honesty and the verification strategy kind of stick together because by doing that digging beforehand, by doing that research, that helps gain the trust because they know that, that you know what you're talking about. You've got that knowledge. You, you're not just doing this as a sort of, you know what, I'm, I'm doing it to sort of fill in a couple of hours or whatever. Now I'm doing this because I'm serious about it. I'm doing this because I want to produce something that is worthy of the subject matter. And um, for, for that, you've got to, you've got to do a bit. Um, you, 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 you've got to do that research and you've got to, um, you've got to make sure that you know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's definitely um, key. I'd like to think we, um, you know what you're talking about with regards to the Rangers. I've been a supporter <laughs> for so long. <laughs> um, in terms of, uh, you, um, just before we move on to quite a fair questions, mm-hmm. we thank you for your time. Um, the, um, in terms of, you, you hinted um, kind of one of the things you've got in, in mm-hmm. the pipeline. Um, what what else have you got, um, got uh, lined up? And uh, the other John, who's uh, um, hosted the other show, um, 
he asked him, who would you most like to write about that you haven't already covered? <laughs> right. I'll, I'll take the second question first. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the, the, first book I wrote, uh, the first book I wrote was uh, Coyce's book, uh, and it was a biographical book. Uh, I didn't speak to him. So again, that was just about um, the experience of... Um, he brought an autobiography out in 92, I think it was, and there was a huge gap, and um, there was an opportunity when we were turning to Rangers. I did try at the time through his agent to to get an authorised biography, but it didn't work. Went ahead with it. But from an, autobiogra- from an autobiographical point of view, if I was to get Coisty, then that would be top end for me. Uh, the guy, I, I mean, uh, unashamedly or otherwise, the guy was my hero. Uh, and remains a hero for me and privileged to have spoken to him on a number of occasions now but that would be the pinnacle if I was to get um, Coyce's book and not just because I, and again a lot of folk will jump on that and say Aye, because that's because you'll get the inside track on what happened with admin and um, the time in the lower leagues and whatever if I was to, uh, to get the opportunity to work with, with Ali that would be down to him in terms of how deep he wants to get into that. If he wants to do the what's and all, I'll I'll cover whatever the subject matter wants me to cover. But that would be the pinnacle. In terms of what I'm doing just now, there's no books in the pipeline, but um, I'm working with um, Follow Follow. They're one of the, the Rangers' uh, official media partners this year. Um, so I'm doing some stuff with them in terms of um, on the gantry and getting onto the gantry at Ibrox. I mean, crikey, um, sitting in a seat at Ibrox is... is is huge for me getting into the stadium and watching games, but to, to go into the gantry and do match reports and get into the uh, the after match press conference is fantastic. So, um, and on top of that, I'm doing some some articles for them as well. So, it keeps things ticking over. Uh, so, no no books in the pipeline just now, but always open to suggestions, always open to opportunities. Um, nothing is uh, as I say, everybody's got a story to tell. It doesn't matter whether, um, and one of the unique things for me with um, the the eighties book was it was it was such a spread of players. You'd Stuart Beattie that had played nine games for Rangers, and you'd Goffey that had played three hundred and fifty four hundred games for the club. Everybody's got um, got an input. Everybody's had that experience that the the three us as football supporters would love to have had two minutes in a park or whatever would have been enough for us. These guys have played for a period of time. Everybody's got that experience. Everybody's got the story to tell. So, um, as I say, always open to suggestions. Yeah, definitely. Well, that was um, definitely fascinating, um, you know, hearing all your stories. But we'll move on to the slow fire questions to finish things off. Mm-hmm. We call them slow, instead of quick fire, it takes us that <laughs> long ago. It's called, it's called slow fire. <laughs> so, as, a, as it was mentioned in uh, Twitter um, by Erin, mm-hmm. um, what's your favourite pie from football point of view? Um, chicken curry. Good choice. Oh, yeah. Good choice. Yeah, good choice. <laughs> <laughs> Ross, you've got a couple, don't you? I've got a few here. Right. I always mm-hmm. like asking, what, this is weird, right. what's your favourite book ever? Uh, my favourite autobiography is Bob McPhail's Legend. Um, it's a fantastic autobiography. If, uh, if, if you haven't read it, I mean, obviously, Bob McPhail was way back. You're talking yeah. 20s, 30s and whatever. It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, and um, modesty, as always, will, will prevent me from saying any of mine. But that <laughs> one is one hundred percent the best. If if you're looking for uh, for statistical stuff in Rangers, the complete record is is 
without equal as far as I'm concerned. It's it's a huge resource for me. Uh, but if you're pinning me down for a not by Ogdafe, then it's it's Bob McPhails. I'll have to read it. I'll have to read it now. Right, second one. Favourite Rangers goal ever? My call is to Gaines Leeds, away from home, diving header for the market at lacrosse. Good okay. shout. <laughs> right, last one. I'm saying these are so far, I'm just firing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, so you can go, with a, go for a pint with three Rangers, players or managers, past or present, whatever either. Who'd you pick? Oh, jeez, <laughs> oh, oh man. Um, <laughs> McCoy, Smith, Loudrop. I'll give you some mine. So, um, mm-hmm. what's the best, um, your favourite old firm game? Obviously, not last night. <laughs> no, I definitely not. <laughs> um, oh, jeez. Um, favourite old firm game. Believe it or not, I wasn't there, but I remember it because of the significance of the goal in the past that David Cooper made. Um, August 31st, 1986, Rangers won Celtic now, Ian Durant scored. Um, that was the uh, that was the stick out for me. Uh, your favourite European game? Crikey. No one of these are slow fire, you make me think. Uh, favourite <laughs> Favourite European game attended uh, PSV Eindhoven Champions League 1999 we beat them 4-1 Rude van Nistelrooy in the team we dominated them that night blew them away um, had it not been for a last minute free kick by uh, Michael Turner it would uh, as well because again we bossed them uh, that night but yeah if you were pushing me it's PSV that's a good one um in terms of um, Rangers trips in the past, there's been some good ones, there's been some bad ones. So what's been the, the your favourite Rangers home in the way tops and your worst Rangers home uh, Rangers away tops? And Ross, you can answer um, this as well, so I didn't know this <laughs> when we had the guest special oh, last year. I'll take the worst one to begin with. Um, we seem to have... Um, uh, we don't seem to do particularly well when it comes to the Lyallot jerseys. So... Um, I don't like them at all. The the original Lilac jersey we lost four two to Sampdoria in a preseason friendly and two one against Motherwell in a league game, ninety four ninety five. And when we wear it and when we've worn it at the moment, obviously we wore it at Ross County on Saturday. So I don't particularly um, I'm not particularly attracted to the Lilac jerseys. Um in terms of favourite jersey, the first one. Um so the one with the white pinstripes on it. So you're talking sort of 83, 84 League Cup final, Coyce's hat trick. That was the first one I ever got. Um, so that's the favourite home jersey. Favourite away jersey is the the one with the red and white with the diagonals, sort of split, mm-hmm. if you like. So 80, that's, 90, that's, sort of, you know? that's sort of circa 88, 89, 89, 90. Yeah. Good one. Yeah. Right. right, Ross, on you go. Oh, right. My favourite should be my first one. That's kind of how it goes. Like, but I think yeah. my favourite is... Uh, the 2002-2003 with a collar and a yes. kind of different part mm. yet. Mm. Uh, favourite away one, Jesus. I quite like the 0405 white when it was the, the sash. I say sash, it was a kind of red and blue. Yes, I uh, yeah. I, I really liked that one. You did the red and blue diagonals, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah Just like please don't sing. Right, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, worst ones. Oh, I think it probably maybe 
one of them during the banter either 13, 14, it just with a Puma or whatever it was with the kind of weird cut. What was that? The Jai Blackthorn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great cider, but terrible on on the on the shirt. Um away. Oh, you're stretching this. I mean think. No, I, I kinda of think here. By the way one. We'll let you off. Maybe just something born like the even though to freed with the white with the NTL it was born. Mm. Especially with the when I had the orange third one as well, and that kind of um there's a kind of weird choice as well, but I think something like that, something like kind of plain born effort. Um but there mind, I wasn't expecting that, I would have thought beforehand. <laughs> Well, I like to turn the unexpected now. And then now, Alistair, um, um, I wasn't clear when I mentioned the best 11, so I'm just going to let you say, um, say what your best 11 was, and then what, I'm going to throw you what I was going to throw in. So give us your best 11. You say it was off in the 90s first. I'll see you've gone. Alistair's having technical issues. His earphones have fallen out. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, got you now. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Um, if ever out of the sort of bullet points that you sent through, you made me think it was this one. Um, so, goalkeeper, uh, Gorham, only just ahead of McGregor, Kloss, and Woods. We've been very, very lucky. As I said, I've done a wee bit of work recently with our goalkeepers, phenomenal goalkeepers we've had, but Andy Gorham just edges it. Uh, right back. Uh, honourable mentions to the likes of Sergio Perini and Jimmy Nicol and whatever, but it's got to be Gary Stevens. Uh, modern day fullbacks, um, obviously up and down the park. Gary Stevens was that back in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, left back, I thought about Arthur Newman, world class, but uh, obviously I've written his book and I've worked with him, so it's got to be David Robertson for left back. Uh, two centre backs, um, Goffey and uh, Teddy Butcher. Um, I actually I actually sent my eleven to both Goffey and um, and Terry Butcher and Terry Butcher came back and said thanks very much for putting me in your team <laughs> for putting me in your team uh, and Goffey said that, that my eleven was uh, nine of nine of my eleven were the same as his he had uh, Glenn Hoddle and Chris Wardle and his um, so they were two centre backs four in midfield uh, I'd have David Cooper naturally on the left hand side. Um, had I been around in the 60s, I've got to give my wee pal Davy a mention. Phenomenal scoring record as an outside left at that time. Uh, but I've got to base it on my own experience as a Rangers fan, so it's David Cooper. Uh, on the right-hand side, uh, Loudrop, without um, without equal as far as I'm concerned uh, on, that, uh, on that side. In the centre, massive scope here. Um, but I went with Wilkins and Gascoigne. And up front, no surprises. My number nine's Coisley. Um, you do you don't score three hundred and fifty-five goals in my era, uh, and mm-hmm. not be included in your eleven. Yeah. Um, and I've gone with Mark at number ten, largely because the partnership between him and Coisley yeah. was so productive. It's like one hundred and sixty odd goals within two seasons. That kind of stuff. Now you're talking forty, fifty, sixty million pound for each striker. Um, and you permitted me five subs, mm-hmm. which which allowed me to fit people in. So uh, I've gone for McGregor as my sub goalkeeper. Um, again, just ahead of Chris Woods and, and Stephen Kloss. Centre back, uh, my centre back subs Davy Weir. Um, again, mm-hmm. the impact that Davy Weir had at the age, come in at the age of thirty seven, he's still playing for us and winning titles at forty one. 
Um, Newman is there as well. Phenomenal left back. Phenomenal left back. Um, I've gone for an unsung hero in Ian Ferguson. Um, one of only three to get all nine championship medals alongside Coyste and Goffey. Um, so I have him on the bench because he's got that wee bit about him. He, he had the ability and the dig as well. And be this, might be a, uh, this might be a bit of a curveball. My um, reserve striker is Dado Purcell. No way! Uh, that's, a great, I, that's a great choice. Phenomenal. Phenomenal Thank player. You, absolutely brilliant. He just he heard everything. <laughs> I don't think your wife agrees. Dado Purcell for me, but again... You've got guys like um, Rod Wallace. You've got guys Moles, like Moles. Um, yeah, Michael Moles. And unfortunately, when it came to the the sort of final cut, if you like, it was the injury and in Munich that probably ruled Moles out. I yeah. think had he not got injured that night, he would have rivaled Laudrup in terms of. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, sorry, I, I suppose I should really mention Henrik Larsson as well. He would probably have like rivaled Laudrup and Larsson as the best foreign players ever to play in this country. Yeah. He's turned. The defenders knew it was coming, but they still couldn't adapt it. They still couldn't. They still couldn't cut it out. But unfortunately, the nature of his injury was such that it took that out of his game. So yeah. um, he kind of aged him out. I, I thought about Nikita Jelic as well, but again, for a year and a half, it wasn't really that kind of longevity. But um, yeah. it, it's still a fairly decent team, I think. So it, it definitely. So he. So here's a challenge to that right. So um, mm-hmm. all your subs are wiped out, and um, you can only bring on. Two players into that uh-huh. um, starting eleven to come from the banter years twenty twelve to twenty fifteen. So, um, from oh, so up to twenty fifteen. So this is even before Mark Warburton. So right, I've got to, I've got to go for Lee McCulloch mm. um, because of the loyalty he showed, and also Lee Wallace. Yeah, I thought I thought you'd make go for. It. I, I'm that's why you didn't go for Francisco Sandasa, personally. Or Anastasi Argirio. Oh, there were there were myriad players at that time that that sort of bring us a cold shiver down your spine. But no, Wallace and McCullough could be the two I would go for. Enough. Well, Ross, you you tried putting in a best eleven um, <laughs> from those years. But I don't think you quite managed it, did you? I got nine because nine. I didn't think a right back. I think that um, what's his name Alistair was just mentioned was a right back. Yeah, it was a right back. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like John said when John was messaging me. He's like, right, I'm going to ask you our best eleven for the banter reader. And I'm waking up in cold sweat. I say, Jim, right, sitting there. Jesus, I can't write this. Samson in there. Uh, no, I've actually got Cammy Bell. And that was a kind of thing. But I've got Ian Black just for and motion at centre half anyway. That will be. Uh, motion would, uh, would be good in a battle just in case we got uh, exactly. we a fist fight. But, uh, mm-hmm. but no, it was it was looking some like, some of the players you forget and I can't even remember us signing. But listen, kind of but listen, it's it's like everybody else. They played their part. It doesn't matter yeah, whether yeah. they were good, bad, or indifferent. And it's the same for every club. Every club's got their get their good, bad and indifferent players. Those guys were part of that sort of journey back from uh, oblivion, if you like, back to where we are now. So, um, but I, I, I'm glad that John actually put that question to you and didn't ask me to pick um, an 11 <laughs> for the Banton years. I, I would probably have struggled, I'd probably have struggled more, more with that than what I did with actually picking one for my, for my time supporting Rangers. Oh, some, 
some crackers there. But. Listen, I, I could write round you off two bad Aberdeen teams, to be fair. So, <laughs> you're lucky you just get that in it, right? So, um, I think we'll, we'll wrap this. Um, I think we all need a well, but <laughs> Thanks very much for your time, Alistair, and um, good luck with the writing going on, and thanks for your okay. help for me so far right. as well. Thanks very much for your time. Appreciate that. All right. All the best, guys. Thanks. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Cheers.